Hello and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Each week we talk through the big property stories of the week and chat from time to time to a variety of property professionals. So we'd love you to get involved in the conversation by adding your thoughts in the comments section below wherever you're watching us today. And also don't forget to like and subscribe so you know when we go live. And also we'd like to welcome those people watching us uh, on the weekly mail out that we do on the Monday after the Sunday show and more and more people joining us on that. So it's great to see you watching us on Catch Up as well. Joining us this morning for Property Matters is Joe Joshi as always. Morning, Joe. Morning, morning. Yeah, never a dull moment in property. It's, uh, you know, my pet subject. As you know, I'm very passionate about it and uh, we've got plenty to cover in the week, um, uh, along with um, some amazing uh, updates on, uh, of course, the long-awaited um, Crossrail. Indeed, and of course, this is the week in property that we've had uh, the chance to give us uh, £400 off our energy bills, but we won't be spending too much time on that because it's not really property-related, but certainly something for households to consider facing these huge hikes in their bills in the autumn again. But we're going to start actually with a case of a property auction. And it's not something that we've really specifically covered um, in great detail, Joe, but there's a story here of a chap who's basically... Um, bought himself a guy called Mr. Ridge, who's a charter surveyor by trade. He successfully purchased a one-bedroom flat via an online auction last year, when most people are looking at uh, right move and the local estate agent. Not everybody considers looking for a one-bed flat as a first-time buy in, um, in, in in an auction. So he, was, he wasn't planning to do that, but he saw something and he thought, well, I need to to, to look somewhere to, to look for somewhere to live that's going to be affordable. So in the end, he, he only became aware of this property ten days prior to the auction, and he ended up buying the property in Earlsfield in southwest London for three hundred and fifty thousand, which seems reasonable. He uh, reckons it's already worth four twenty five to four fifty. He only paid five thousand over the asking price, oh, the guide price. I'm sorry. Uh, so he reckons that he was probably the sole bidder on that. Um, and he says before making the purchase, he looked at two other properties via auction, though he decided against bidding on one and he missed out on the other. However, he thinks that the process was invaluable because it gave him an understanding of how it all works and to appraise the risks. And it also gave him confidence to buy at auction. But he said that with the market overinflated at the moment uh, and, and all the crowds risking to get a property to get on the ladder, you risk paying over the odds. By taking this approach, he felt there was less competition for good opportunities. What's your thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, as you know, as a property auctioneer, it's uh, very close to our, our hearts. And uh, I've always been um, an advocate to say that um, uh, buying at auction is not just for investors and people that think they want to find do uppers and cash purchasers. It is um, really quite wide open to uh, all the buyers, including first-time buyers like this gentleman. Um, and primarily because, uh, as you said, there's lesser competition because most people are probably... Uh, scared in their minds to sort of think, well, you know, will I will I take that risk? Uh, will I have the money? Can I do this? Can I do that? And so therefore, um, he's got lesser competition than he would perhaps in the private treaty where there's more people that are going to borrow on, on a mortgage and, um, and probably uh, bid higher on the basis that they want to secure it. It's just that the process takes much longer. As we know, private treaty process can be anything between three to six months sometimes, uh, though uh, people try to profess it's three months, but I know for sure 
that uh, it, it, it can be just expanded by sort of table tennis, ping pong by lawyers about little documents that are, are missing and, and so forth. Whereas the property uh, bought at auction means that they've actually got a um, pretty comprehensive legal pack to make an informed decision up front. Um, and it's just a case of knowing and having the confidence like this, this gentleman to be able to say that I can actually bid for this and I've got the money. Now, as you can see that he probably set up a, um, a, a situation with a, uh, a bridging facility in the background. Um, mm. And though bridging can be expensive, um, it, is, it is a route that I always encourage people. In fact, only this week we had a question raised by somebody on our Instagram page um, asking the questions about, um, you know, is it possible to buy as a first-time buyer through through an auction? And of course, we uh, replied to them by saying that everything was you're prepared, and even if you're going to have a mortgage, you can have your mortgage survey done um, on the property prior to auction and have a approved mortgage so that you are ready to to complete when even when you are successful in the bid so everything is completely possible and this guy has taken that that plunge and found a property that um, a obviously found little competition and b potentially is making money on it already so you know never say never yeah i mean um he says uh, he'd recommend working out if you're happy to what you're happy to pay and be self-disciplined on the day and not get to uh, whipped up into uh, excitement on the day and, and pay over what you intended to. So have the have the discipline and, and the maturity to sort of go out at your your ceiling price, um, uh, because you you will run out of money long before uh, you run out of good opportunities. So don't be disappointed if you're outbid, which I think is a good piece of advice. Um, it's not without its risks, but as long as you price potential problems into your purchase price, ups the upside can be good. That's a very good point, isn't it? Because a lot of these properties, Joe, are not. You know, perfectly habitable, habitable at the moment you get them. They're usually there because they might need some work doing to them, or they've got a short lease or something. So, so you you need to know that if you're going to get yourself a bargain, what the what the additional is going to be to get put things right. Absolutely, you must do your homework. You must get your sums right and and plan accordingly. Um, it's a method of sale, to be perfectly honest with you, Paul. And yes, uh, it ha carries this tarnish about. It needs only properties that need doing up or has low leases, etc. There are genuinely ordinary properties that are also sold through that. And it's purely because the circumstances of the seller may be that they want to move it rather than just look at it for the next six months. Um, so, you know, everything is priced accordingly, priced to sell fundamentally. There's always a little opportunity here and there. Um, and um, you, yes, you can run away with it. I mean, I, we had a a lot this week um, in our auction, which was just unbelievable. Where you know we guided it at 400, and we ended up with 165,000 pounds over the guide price. Um, it was a bidding frenzy, but uh, you know, and people do do get um, uh, over the top about these things. But it's just a case of is it worth it to you? Is that what you want? And um, you know, one guy came right at the end and, and stole the show after everybody had spent their time bidding because. He knew he wanted it and he just waited for the last minute and boom, he, he got it. So it's, it's fun and exciting to do at the same time. But yes, absolutely. Get, keep your head screwed on and keep your hand down if it was a live auction. Or in this case, keep your hand away from the, uh, the buttons to keep saying, yeah, I'm going to bid a bit more, a bit, a bit more. You know, it's easy to do. It's only, it's only another thousand pounds. It's only another thousand pounds. Before you know it, you can actually end up doing several thousand pounds and it only takes 
not even a second, probably nanoseconds to spend that thousand quid <laughs> by pres literally pressing, uh, pressing the numbers on, on your keypads. There was a, there is a risk there. I mean, at the end of the day, he did take a commercial bridging loan before securing a mortgage. But, you know, particularly with a, a lot of mortgage uh, 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 auction properties, there is the risk that a, a standard mortgage wouldn't be applicable to those kind of properties. Just take us through that issue. Because he could have been exposed yeah. there with the fact that suddenly they said, well, we can't put a mortgage on this property. Then he's got a bridging loan and he, he could be in real difficulty. Yes and no. I mean, if he's got a bridging loan, he's going to take a bridging loan, not necessarily for two, three, four months. He's probably going to take it for a year. Um, and if there are things that need to do, be done to tweak it up to make sure it's viable for a proper mortgage, um, then, of course, he's got that time um, to get some of the, the detailed work that needs done, done to make sure that it is going to be eligible for a, a proper mortgage. Um, and he may find that. So let's say, hypothetically, it's costing him, you know, 1% a month and, and, and the, the loan is going to be, um, I don't know, £150,000, you know, it's £1,500 a month is paying over, over, the, over that period. But then if he's bought it right, he's already, you know, bought it under what would be an equity in it in the first place. So whilst he might lose that in the short term, in the long term, he would gain it because, you know, house prices have been going up as they have been. And even if they went up a little bit over the next two or three years, he would have, uh, you know, had a, a fairly uh, educated risk there and then convert it into a 20, 25 year mortgage at a lower rate, which he would sort of recoup quite easily. It is all about the calculation of the numbers, Paul. It's making sure that you've got it absolutely right to make sure that you cover um, any sort of void or any risk period. But most bridging is going to be about uh, 12 months and nine mm -hmm. times out of 10 is enough time to go in there and tweak and do the things that you need to do to make sure that a mortgage the reason they come to that market in, in, in that sort of state in the first place is that either it belongs to um, a family it's a probate or it's a circumstantial situation where nobody else wants to spend that money to do it and if especially where families are concerned some families don't have the withal and the want to throw some more money into a into it to make it look right They'd rather just you know sell it at the price it is and let somebody else take the risk. So they're not always as bad as they are. It's just a case of timing and making sure that you've got the right thing and, and being in the right place, right time could mean that you could actually make an extra gain uh, like this gentleman has done also. Yeah, he's spending, uh, he's proposing to spend 100,000 on the place. Um, there's gonna be, there's a large garden at the back, side extension, rear extension, and we can go down into the basement and create a, a refurbished utility and TV room. So he reckons that it's going to be worth um, somewhere between 600 and 700. So the maths does stack up from that point of view. But I guess to wrap this one up, Joe, you know, take advice from from professionals like yourself to uh, to work out whether you know you're going to come unstuck or not. Always ask the question. Never be shy in asking the question. That's what we're here for. We'll guide you and direct you in the way we think it's right for you. And if it's not right for you, we'll also tell you it's not right for you because at the end of the day, we don't want you to risk your money um, and, and sort of feel responsible that we, we've given you a guidance that is actually inadvertently you've taken a risk on, on spending your money. But uh, uh, always, always take advice, take guidance. And of course, we're here to help you guide through that at any time. So always contact me at auctionproperty.co.uk. Great. Okay. Well, some people might be surprised to hear us mention Crossrail this week. Of course, it was in the news in the middle of the week when the Elizabeth line opened after £18.9 billion being spent on uh, 
on the development of the line, which goes, of course, from west to east or east to west, depending on your viewpoint. Um, and of course, why are we mentioning that on property matters? Well, house prices are surging as much as 215% if you're lucky enough to live near the new railway line. Postcodes near the new rail link have seen an average property price increase of 79% since the project was first announced in July 2008, putting them at a 14% premium over the wider local area. If you take W1 postcode, home to Tottenham Court Road, Bond Street, Crossrail stations, they've enjoyed the largest increase. While back in 2008, the average property price there was 725600 And now it's got 215% to 2.3 million, Joe. <laughs> Quite something. So there's a story of good investment on a property, isn't it? And um, I'm glad we brought this. But first of all, uh, congratulations eventually to uh, the success of the Elizabeth line. And of course, being that it's the Elizabeth line and um, uh, the weekend, uh, next weekend coming up with the Jubilee, uh, um, we uh, we salute the Queen and, uh, and of course the Elizabeth line that's finally uh, come to a finish. Um, and um, yeah, uh, I think the, the thing that's really quite sort of uh, important to, to uh, see here is that communication um, is the real key to uh, property um, and I'm not saying you know, by telephone or whatever, but literally rail communication, people being able to get from A to Z in a much, much quicker form of time, uh, comfort, etc., makes it more attractive to live in those particular areas. And what this uh, Elizabeth line has now done has, has made areas that were originally not uh, accessible, um, more accessible and much easier to get to. And therefore, uh, the, the, the London um, postcode for what it's worth or the London area has now widened much much more um, and brought in more outer towns into London um, and, and even though they're not London they are now made to feel part of London because the Elizabeth line now connects it directly into central London so um, just think that it goes out as far as Reading um, and then uh, as far as I think Shinfield on one side and so forth so it's a he's brought in a big area now that is now incorporated into inverted commas um, London um, and that uh, is only going to help the uh, communication but overall it's also going to make um, accessibility for youngsters to go a bit further out of central London to be able to have affordable properties in the short term, which of course will rise. So now is a good time to do it. Even though people have been buying and, and increasing for the last 18 years, 19 years that it's taken to get to this stage, what it has shown is that that's on the journey. Now we are in the journey. Um, and so watch this space over the next, you know, five, six years, what those areas that we weren't able to get to and now people can get to will increase. So that's a great opportunity for investors, an opportunity for first-time buyers to get in there and get on with it right now. Um, and uh, so um, obviously good news for Property Matters, of course, um, because we'll have this subject to cover and showing the growth of, of this investment that they've made into the... Um, uh, and it, what, a, what an amazing piece of engineering, in all honesty. I was thinking about this the other day, Paul, and I was thinking that you know, in our lifetime, some of the, some of the most amazing things. They said that uh, the Euro Tunnel would not make it happen, but now 
look at it it's it's uh you know it's just something you take for granted isn't it is you just sort of jump on and get to paris and away you go um and then you've got the elizabeth bridge over dartford which was quite an amazing uh, piece of engineering of course the m25 itself which i know is the largest car park in the entire world but uh, uh nevertheless uh what it opened and did for for communication was was quite amazing and now uh, the Elizabeth Line and Crossrail, it just goes to show the quality of uh, workmanship, the engineers and what the United Kingdom has to offer the wider world. Um, and, and of course, the people that live here. So really, really pleased and really proud to be part of uh, uh, part of that in our time. Well, if you take SE18 postcode, which is Woolwich, Good May, Seven Kings, Romford, Twyford, Manor Park, <clears throat> excuse me, all doubled in value in the uh, period since 2008. And of course, Journey times you mentioned there, Romford to Liverpool Street, now 27 minutes, which is quite something. So Romford really, you know, very, very close to London in terms of time. Um, and Stratford to Bond Street, just 15 minutes, which is which is quite something. But the, the bargains to be had, and there are still some, Joe, Southall leads the pack for cross-rail affordability, coming in at 27% more affordable than the wider area of Ealing, followed by West Drayton, 17% and Hayes and Harlington. So, um um that's that's a, that's a good uh, little tip there if you're looking to get something on the line then they're the areas that have uh, grown the least so far yes and i think ealing is probably going to go through the roof um because it has five stops in ealing um uh, for it and so all of that journey all of that area from hanwell ealing west ealing south ealing all of those stops um including places like i think acton and so forth are are, are just going to go uh, through the roof so you know if you if you're looking to buy and invest there are good areas to buy and invest in and even for the rental market they're great because people will rent there now that the accessibility through the elizabeth line takes them into central london and across much quicker and also companies and work you know this this whole thing about the pandemic that has made people work from home um you'd be quite surprised how many doors this has now going to open because I, I know that we've got properties on the market in Romford and that journey for me by car is a, an hour and a half. Um, mm. And, um, you know, so uh, I can see and, and parts of Romford is really nice and parts of Romford is not so nice. But I, I will see that uh, as this communication opens uh, and opens the door much more, uh, Romford will probably start to shape up um, better in the future. Yeah, you can see um, uh, some of the price increases here on the on the screen. So you can see Woolwich, one hundred and twenty eight percent look, but Abbeywood only ninety only only ninety three percent. Twyford one hundred and ten percent. West Ealing ninety eight. But then in the centre, of course, you've got uh, Tottenham Court Road uh, and Bond Street at two hundred and fifteen. But uh, they mentioned, for example, at East Ham near Manor Park, there's a three bedroom, two bathroom apartment with a large open plan kitchen and a private balcony just shy of 500,000. So there are uh, central um, opportunities to be had still. Absolutely, and that's what I'm saying. That it's, it's, it's what it's done for communication across, across the network um, and have, have that connection, uh, which was missing. And so if you take heed from this situation, although it's taken all this time, we know that potentially, I mean, people have asked us a question, where do you invest? They asked me the question, what's the next place to invest? What do you think? Well, H2S is, you know, is on its way. Um, and all of those areas and towns and villages that it all go through will actually have the similar effect. Maybe not as much because they're not London, but certainly the accessibility 
from uh, from that route going forward in the next 10 years, whenever they actually get to finish it, will also be a good and great place for people to start to think about as uh, potential investments. So all the best to Elizabeth Line, and um, we shall uh, we shall no doubt come back to that when we watch the growth of these uh, property prices over the uh, next few months and years. Um, just following on from last week, Joe, when we talked about we had a bit of a letting special last week, didn't we? And about the uh, the getting rid of Section Twenty One. Well, the Lettings Industry Council has uh, come in with their two penneth this week. Um, so they've warned that getting rid of Section 21 equates to abolishing assured shorthold tenancies, which were known as ATLs, which will affect landlords' confidence. For tenants, this will mean that landlords become more risk adverse and that those with lower incomes and poor rental history will be rejected in favour of higher income renters with a satisfactory rental history. Rental properties are investments and landlords prefer to have them occupied rather than risk avoid period, with statistics showing that the majority of tenancies are ended by the tenant, not the landlord, which is an interesting point because the government are saying, oh, you know, landlords can't have it all their own way. But actually, very often, it's the tenant that ends the the, the, um, the tenancy. Yes, I mean, this this subject is going to go on for some time. And uh, as we covered it uh, as a full uh, letting program pretty much last week, um, uh, you may recall that I, I, I was, you know, of the view that they're using uh, a sledgehammer to crack a nut here and using the, the Section 21, which is I don't believe is actually broke, or what they can do is be tweaked um, and, and, and amended in order to accommodate. But it's now being very um, sort of uh, weighed um, and, and sort of towards the side of the tenant. And, and of course, that will make landlords very, very uh, weary of what they're going to do and, and how they're going to actually um, rent property. They will be very conscious and cautious to who they want to rent it and, and what those circumstances will be. And so there will be people that will miss out because their affordability isn't there or they may not have a job that gives them the amount of income or their circumstances may be that they have some bad credit and all those things will be um, taken into consideration. Um, and then of course that will uh, make it difficult. Um, and so we'll get not so much rogue landlord, but we'll get landlords that will ask for silly monies um, and perhaps bigger deposits and things that they know that people can't find can't find and find it difficult to to get that money up front in order to be able to accommodate now if you remember the story we covered last week where a chap said well here's 400 pounds worth of my deposit but you know that 400 pound was probably not even gonna start mm. so things like that will become an issue where people will say well actually i'm not i don't want to one a one month's deposit. I want maybe six months worth of deposit now, in order to make sure that I'm protected because you're you know credit you're not credit worthy or or you don't have the income to support it. And even though you believe you can, what we don't want to do is take. So it's going to create a lot of issues for uh, both investors who are um, landlords and of course uh, tenants. And this is this part of this is created by the tenants, to be perfectly honest with you, because make lots of noise about things that, and it's always a few. It's a few that not not the the masses that kick up a stink about these things and say, oh, my landlord's this and my landlord's that. But actually, it's caused a problem for the wider industry, where people are now starting to say, okay, we've got to look at this. But I I personally think that um, they don't need to. I mean, if you just came out, got rid of, if you abolish the section twenty one and just use uh, section eight. Um, landlords will become really, really cautious about who they're going to rent to. And I firmly believe. And so here they are, they've come out uh, fighting with pretty much 
the things that we talked about, and that is that they think it's it's too too much to get rid of the Section 21, and they need to probably uh, tweak that. So I think we'll have a long debate about this particular subject going forward yet, um, and it may change from what it is to what, what, what it will be. Mm. I mean, they make the point, and I think it's a valid one, that sensible landlords would obviously want people in paying rent than, than have them void. I mean, that makes you know every bit of sense. And But they're saying that if there's going to be an end to no-fault evictions with Section 21, then there's a couple of things that, that the government need to do to make sure that, that things work well, and that's to... to the course, the process of court possessions needs to be sped up, get rid of this backlog, um, and they should prioritise cases uh, of persistent and repeat rent arrears. A mediation should be made mandatory and recommended in all cases. And the other thing was to have a deposit bond scheme for financially vulnerable tenants uh, and a regulator to oversee letting agent regulation, property MOTs, some suggesting even a property passport, Joe. Uh, a property register of the tenant and landlords um, so that there's some kind of redress and, and, and accountability. And, of course, the widespread use of property reference numbers or UPRNs. So those are the suggestions. But what do you think about the idea of a property passport? There's 168 laws that govern the private rented sector. So having a property passport that says, yep, good landlord, yes, good property, clean and legal, decent, honest and truthful, etc. There's some sense in that, isn't there? Yes and no. Um, and the, the yes is, of course, uh, it's always good to have some good information. Um, the no is that uh, you're almost um, overcooking something that is not needing to be done. I mean, it goes back to the um, time when somebody came up with this amazing idea to uh, have a, a whole dossier about um, you're selling your property. And I, I don't know if you recall, it, uh, it was... Um, uh, having an EPC pack, it was called a, uh, it was called a property pack of some sort, um, and not a single soul ever looked at those, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a complete um, farce. Because yes, you can add. People want to know the basics. They want to know, you know, what fits for their circumstances. To have a complete property passport, it's a good file. It's this job for somebody to do. But very rarely is someone actually going to, it's like a manual, how very rarely, rarely is someone actually sit there and go, you know, page five, chapter such and such, and section such and such, and you said this. Um, it, it's not going to be there because these are short-term lets, they're not long-term lets. So, you know, if you're looking at something like that, maybe you're going to go in there six months to 12 months, potentially 18, maximum three years um, under those circumstances, and then you won't want to move. Um, so for those, it might be might be viable, those that want to have a long-term let. But those that are short-term, I don't think they particularly need to know the ins and outs of the entire property uh, in a whole dossier um, when they just want to get in, have somewhere to rent and move on. Um, and, you know, there are people now looking at going around the corner of things like this. Um, for example, you can now say to yourself, well, actually, I'm going to only do day-to-day short-term let through Airbnb. Um, mm. and adjust it, and, and none of this will actually mean a thing. So, you know, landlords are already beginning, I've had conversations this last week, already beginning to think that they can market it and, and secure it in a different way without having to have the commitment. So you can actually go and, you know, say, I'll take an Airbnb on a week-to-week -week basis, but a longevity of six months. <laughs> um, mm. It's just adjust the price accordingly, but it's done under the Airbnb scenario, it's a short term. So they, they will find ways 
to get around this if they don't shape it up in the right direction. And I think sometimes it's too much. Some too much information is equally as bad as not enough information, and it's keeping that right balance. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, uh, piece that was uh, associated with this whilst we're on the same subject area. They've done some research in Scotland on Scottish tenancies. Uh, this is generation rent, so this is the other side of the coin, if you like. Um, and they found that nearly a third of private landlords who say they were evicting tenants to sell the property hadn't done so in more than a year. A further 9% of cases of tenants being evicted on grounds of sale saw the home sold to another landlord who has relet the property. So they're basically saying here that, you know, why can't we sell a property with a sitting tenant in it? Uh, why can't that be an attractive opposite proposition for a, a new landlord to take on with, a, with it already let to a, a good quality tenant? Why do they have to evict, then sell to have it re-let again um, if it isn't presumably for more rent? number of reasons really on that. So first of all, um, when somebody's borrowing money, um, it may be that having a tenant in there doesn't give them the equation that they require to borrow the maximum amount. So it's better to have it vacant um, so that they can actually have the maximum borrowing and then uh, go back to the market either by an increased rent to cover it. And it also may, may mean that the property requires updating and modernizing and it's better to have the tenant out so that they can actually um, buy it, modernize it and then relet it, obviously achieving better rents and so forth. So there's a number of reasons that people want to have it vacant. Equally, uh, you may find that you've got a tenant that has been a bit of a pain. Um, and whilst, you know, uh, they've had a good relationship, the landlord may have come to a point themselves and said, you know what, I need to get out of this guy. I'm having too many discussions and these leaky taps, to, you know, being fixed too many times and I want to go. And so, you know, the question is the next next landlord doesn't really want to take on that burden. Not that the first landlord is probably going to tell them the truth, but mm. you are obliged to, to state if there are any disputes or difficulties um, uh, with a tenant. And that then makes it, you know, unattractive because what, you know, why would you want to take someone else's headache on? You just don't want to do it. So you'd rather they vacate it or get out and, and start from afresh. Um, so those, there are many reasons why people would want existing tenants not there. Uh, now, if they were paying good money and they, they had a clean bill of health and they were excellent, yes, there are. But then the question is, does it give you enough return on investment? So most landlords are looking for at least six, seven percent, maybe up to eight, nine, ten percent in the outer parts of London, central London, maybe less um, against a bank that might be giving them one and a half percent return. But sometimes the equation, the mathematics doesn't actually allow them to borrow the money that they want to borrow based on the income that is coming in and also based on the quality. Now, lenders might turn around and say, we want to do a search on the tenant, for example. So the tenant might be up to date on their on their um, mortgage and payment, oh, sorry, on their rent, mm. but they may, have, may be a tenant that has an adverse credit history. Um, and a lender, so if you, if you take a lender who says, I'm gonna lend you money to buy this property with this tenant in, what they're saying is that we'll buy, buy it, but we've got a risky tenant in there, so therefore we're not gonna lend you the money. So sometimes um, it, it could be that it's better to get the tenant out and buy a scratch. So those are the reasons that, you know, you've got to think there, there are a lot of uh, underlining issues that come in in order to fund a project. 
whilst your good heart and good nature says it's good to keep this tenant, they've been good, they pay on time and so forth, but if you're selling it on to somebody else as an investment, they've got to check and make sure that even the tenants are, are a viability, viable investment to carry on with. They looked at 125 cases between 2018 and 2021. Uh, where the landlord was seeking possession on ground one and check whether each property had been sold or was still on the landlord register and this is where this third had, had actually evicted somebody but hadn't then sold but what was interesting in the figures also just over half 53 percent had both been sold and left the prx in line with the landlord's original intention so that's actually just over half of those cases of 125 over half of those had actually fallen from being rental stock and presumably had been sold to a a first-time buyer or, or someone who was going to live in it yes because change has to happen and there are a number of reasons why those rental stocks come off it might be that the landlord has a property that has a low lease and doesn't want to extend the lease and it's now not a viable proposition it might be that property needs modernizing it might be that the tenant that they've had has left it in such a poor state aka our last week's um visual that it's, it's better for them to clear them out and clear the property and, and move that asset on. Because, you know, even tidying things up and cleaning them up means that the money that a landlord has made is actually put back in to bring it up. And, and they could ultimately be out of pocket because, you know, they might have made, let's say, I don't know, 200 pound a month uh, as an uplift on their thing. Um, and uh, 200 pound a month, you know, that's two and a half grand a year, give or take. And they might spend five grand doing it up again to get rid of it or, or to re-rent it. So the, the, the money that they've made and some, they've ended up plowing back in. So it's not particularly a good return on their investment. So everything has to be weighed up as to whether it's the right thing for the landlords to do. But tenants don't help themselves because, you know, this is a temporary home. They don't treat it like a home. They treat it as if like it's not even a hotel. Uh, they treat hotels better and, and, and so, when they are asked to leave and, and, and they wonder why, and that's because they've left it in a poor condition or, or not treating it well, and landlords just know that they're gonna to have to spend loads of money to get it back into some sort of shape. Better have it vacant and them out than start from scratch. Mm. Yeah, landlords now have to prove their intention to sell, so they must demonstrate that they've got an appointed solicitor, estate agent, or other professional uh, to prepare the property for listing. As a result, it's very difficult for tenants to challenge a ground one eviction and many move out before the notice period ends. Interestingly, they can apply tenants for a wrongful termination order, which if successful, results in compensation. But none of the cases examined by generation rent resulted in one being successful. So that's uh, an interesting statistic in itself. But um, as you say, this whole renters reform bill and the abolition of Section 21 will continue and we'll keep our eyes on it for everyone watching Property Matters. Lastly, but no means leastly this week, uh, Joe, we're off to Art College in uh, Grimsby. Yeah, or, not or so we much might have done a few years ago, perhaps. <laughs> I was going to say, not, not so much of an art, art or art college now, but I suppose it is a, um artful thing that is a very character uh, for the characterful uh, property, as you can see, um, in uh, in its heyday, quite a grand-looking building uh, in the area. But sadly, it is now no longer. Air conditioning in that, 
um, and um, so you don't need to put air conditioning in. You it's just it's there uh, all round. Um, <laughs> the pro property uh, is in Grimsby, um, and of course <clears throat> Grimsby is a, bit, a great fishing town, it's a port town. Um, it's a huge property, a lot of property for the money. Uh, going under the hammer uh, at a guide price of two hundred thousand pounds. Um, and just imagine what you can do. But of course, you also have to have deep pockets to make it into a habitable um, property um, and, and get through all the um, uh, listed building operations. So it is a listed building, so it has to keep a certain facade. But um, I think at some stage there was probably a fire damage there. Um, yeah, a fantastic opportunity for those that look for opportunities to do a doer upper. You can't get better doer upper than this particular one. Um, so uh, yeah, but have deep pockets. Yeah, it goes all the way back, I presume, from behind that facade. Yeah, it's it's just it's enormous. It's, it's mega. Yeah, fantastic. So that's in the the next auction, Joe. That's in the next auction on 19th the nineteenth of July. Yeah, July. 19th I beg of your July. Yeah, nineteenth of July. Um, so yeah, plenty of time to do your surveys and uh, do any any um, um, research that you need to do. Uh, but I don't think you need to do a great deal. Just know, you, you know you're going to spend bundles on it. <laughs> so uh, make sure you've got all your uh, funds in, in place for that. Do you think it'll end up residential? It's going to be residential. I mean, it's, it's again, the same story that we're having about connections and going further out. Um, you know, it is the, the, the furthest out possible you can go on to the, uh, the east side. Um, and um, uh, I think uh, it's, it's great. We've got, I've got a client who's got a couple of properties there that we're trying to move on. This is just one of them. Um, but look at the, the grandeur of it. At one time, it was a very majestic, very grand looking property. Mm. Um, but um, again, it's about work. Um, there's no work up there as such, or, or the ports are the only work and the fishing. And, um, and all of those are changing. And so some major industry will go there and, and things like this will become attractive. It actually makes a really good hotel, um, mm. you know, in all honesty. So somebody will do it, but it, you know, it's a case of plowing that money into it. And it's probably another, at least a 10 year project before they actually make it right. Um, but uh, it's always exciting to get properties like this um, because it, it's just, that's, that's what makes auction more interesting. And that's what makes our property world more mm. interesting because you know otherwise we wouldn't be here every week for doing a properties show no indeed and on that uh, that nice uh, way of wrapping things up thank you joe uh, that's another property matters in the bag for us we'll be back of course next sunday at 10 o'clock and wherever you're watching us whenever you're watching us i hope you've enjoyed the show today